We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight here to break down the Giants week, what is it, 14, Nick? This is just a, <laughs> this is where the season's at. I don't even know what week it is. It's week 14 loss to the Chargers. We'll talk a little bit about the game for sure, but we're going to talk about some other stuff because there's really not too much to break down from the game. I doubt there's too many listeners here who want to hear us break down this game, drive by drive. Maybe who's <laughs> going to make it tough to do an all twenty-two? By the way, Nick. So we'll have to figure that one out later this week. Maybe this is the week we finally get to the mailbag uh, to give something fun to listen to because you know it's not going to be fun to watch the film of this game. It wasn't fun to watch the broadcast of the game. Sure, in the end, the Chargers only win by sixteen total points, but that's because they weren't tackling at the end. They gave the Giants two free touchdowns at the end. Those are meaningless touchdowns that help Joe Judge at the end, I suppose make it look like it was a closer loss. This is a rudderless loss, one of the worst losses of the Giants' season. They looked utterly unprepared in the first half, completely blown out. Justin Herbert threw for 220 yards and a half. Uh, just the defense, like like we predicted, Nick, this is the type of quarterback where the Patrick Graham defense and this Giants' defense, well, we get brought back down to earth, right? Like, defense has been good this year. It's nowhere near top five. The defense has been good this year. It's nowhere near top 10 because whenever they face good quarterbacks, actual real quarterbacks, with the exception of Mahomes, who was going through something when they played him that night and, you know, at that stage of the season, they get torn up. They get chewed up by these quarterbacks who can rip through their zone. Uh, and that's exactly what Herbert did today. He just ripped apart the Giants. I mean, let's look at the final stats. And this is, you know, factoring in. He didn't even have to throw the ball for the whole the whole fourth quarter. He went 22 of 31, completing almost every pass, 275 yards, 8.9 yards per attempt, which is insane. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. That's the line for Justin Herbert. And he did it without Keenan Allen, his best receiver, his go-to receiver, the guy he's developed a rapport with. Um, and a slew of tight ends that include Donald Parham, Jared Cook, Mike Williams, the only receiver of note, Jalen Guyton, a former undrafted guy, uh, and obviously Josh Palmer, a big blue banter favorite, but also a rookie who hasn't played much with Herbert this year. And it was it was clinical, Nick. And so, you know, this one brings me back down to earth with the defense, but that's not my key takeaway with this game. I got a key takeaway, at least, and I want to broach this with you. Nick, um, and I want to talk about it with you, and I want to expand on it and see what your thoughts are on it because there's two sides to it. But before I do that, I do want to welcome you in, Nick, and get your overall takeaway on this game, and maybe we can touch on that first. Yeah, man, it's it's not fun to watch this team whatsoever, and I feel like it's been several seasons now where December rolls around and football is just meaningless, and we start kind of turning the page towards the draft in hopes that there's going to be a brighter future. Well, now we're what? After this season, we're going to be heading into the third year of Joe Judge, if Joe Judge is retained. And I don't know if that brighter future is, you know, anywhere within the eyesight of what we want right now, because this was disgusting. This team is not prepared. The offensive line is atrocious. It's just an uber conservative effort. 
basically every game and when it's not it, it seems forced and, and a little clunky like a fourth and nine riley dixon contested pass to keon crossing you know it's just i don't know man i just look at the new york giants right now in, in such a, a negative light and i think it's a shame because this is one of the coolest and best fan bases in the national football league and we have had nothing to cheer for outside of 2016 since the last super bowl victory which kind of makes me sound like a spoiled brat because at least the giants mm-hmm. had two super bowl victories in my lifetime right and you know my, my brother always says you know the giants are still paying their fair you know they made a deal with the devil we got our two super bowl runs and he's like it's really going to cost us this much and it really is costing us this much i mean Right now, the Giants, with this loss today, they dropped to four and nine, which guarantees them at this point they're not their eighth losing season in the last nine years. Their eighth losing season in the last nine years. And just to give you a scope of what this franchise was all about and where they were at, you know, just a little while ago from 1984 through 2012. And this is a shout out to a user from Big Blue Interactive, Relicoda, I think is Relic, Relic Doa. I don't know. Sorry if I mispronounced your handle but from 1984 to 2012 the Giants only had eight losing seasons so in those 26 seasons they lost had it only eight seasons that were losing seasons now in the last nine they've had eight losing seasons guaranteed after this loss today just kind of gives you a you know a, a placemat for where this team is at right now obviously um so my big takeaway, and I have a couple, I want to get to some of the Joe Judge stuff too, because we, we do, we should expound on that and get into that. I know at this point, it's like, it almost feels Nick like a broken record, to be completely honest with you, talking about what we have, our talking points with the Giants until we, you know, turn the page to player movement in the offseason, obviously general manager movement, coach movement, potentially, and then the draft, that's when things will change. But, you know, there's still a lot of question marks, and that's why we'll probably touch on the judge stuff. But I want to talk to you about one thing that really became abundantly clear to me today, Nick. And that's kind of pushed me over the top with this point of view. I'm going to stand strong on it. I'm going to make a strong case for it here. I'm curious to hear your take on it. And, you know, if it's in your mind a correct take or if I'm on the right path with it. But this game really solidified for me that the Giants have really done a really poor job of valuing the quarterback position. And it's not really over just the last four years since Eli Manning has left the team or the last three years since Eli Manning has left the team. It goes back a lot further than that because never at one point during the Eli Manning era did they have any talent at the backup quarterback position. Unless I'm mistaken, I can't remember. But I mean, my memory goes back pretty far and I just can't remember it. And this game to me was just so clear to me, Nick, that they can't do this to themselves anymore. If they do decide to go forward with Daniel Jones next season and all signs point to them doing so for one, they love him in the building. They love his leadership. They love the signs he showed his rookie season. And this is not a great quarterback class, but if they do decide to move forward with him, Nick in year four next year, and which again, we expect them to do well, we're going to have to face. I hope they look themselves in the mirror and say they're playing. They're moving forward with a quarterback who's been injured in all three of his seasons. He was also injured at Duke. He broke his clavicle and, you know, came fought back. He's a tough guy. He really is. He came back, I think, in four games from that. And it was originally an eight week diagnosis, I think, at Duke. But that's a four straight season injury type of track record. And. We now see this team, man, just look so wholly uncompetitive with a quarterback, the talent level of Mike Glennon. And I'm at the point, Nick, where you need to start revamping your idea on the quarterback position. I've understood the, the counter argument to this. The counter argument to this is you got your quarterback, your franchise pick and Daniel Jones. What's the point of spending cap space in a backup quarterback? Because if it doesn't work with Jones, uh, you know, you have to go back to the drawing board and get a quarterback. But I just want them to be competitive in football games, man. And this is by far and away the most important position. And the gross negligence that they've shown toward it is crazy. They went into the season with Daniel Jones and Mike Glennon. That's not an acceptable quarter. That might be the least talented quarterback duo in the entire NFL when you look at backup and starter. If we're looking at this objectively, like maybe there's some worse ones with the starters, but maybe they have a better backup. Or let's not say it's the worst, but even if it's bottom five or bottom 10, man, you can't turn to Mike Glennon at this point. He was atrocious out there. And all it took to get Gardner Minshew was a six. And I can guarantee you Gardner Minshew would have moved the ball today a hell of a lot better than Mike Glennon. Gardner Minshew doesn't throw incomplete passes, basically. Guy's like a 65% thrower. And he moves the ball, and he gets in and out of uh, blitzes, and he makes plays. And that was a six-round pick. 
I mean, there will be guys that they can look at this offseason. We'll have to get to that. But at this point, man, I'm of the belief that they need to start investing in the quarterback position. They need to start treating it like a position that, oh, no, we have a rookie pick. We don't want to scare him by bringing in talent and competition. No, if he's playing bad, you bench him and you put someone in better than him or you give someone a chance to play better than him. You have to have some talent there, though. You can't have Mike Glennon coming out because it leads to games like this where and games like the last one where two games in a row, man, they're still in the playoff hunt before last before Miami game. They're four and six at the time. They win that game and then pull a major upset against the Chargers. Now they're six and six instead of what four and or I'm getting these records wrong. But now they would have been uh, six and seven instead of four and nine. And they're right in it in the NFC there, or at least they give themselves a chance. They don't give themselves a chance with someone like Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm, a six round pick with limited arm talent, not very good played with a good team at Georgia. That's not the answer either. Like I wanted to see him today because whatever, what the hell, there's nothing to lose at this point, but that's probably not the answer either. And at this point, Nick, I'm all in on investing in quarterbacks. I'm going to be looking at Mariota this offseason. I'm going to be looking at Minshew, and I want the Giants to clear some cap space. They might have to dip into 2023. I don't care. They need to add something to this quarterback position. They cannot roll into next season with Daniel Jones, who's regressed and has not looked good recently, and Mike Glennon or a Mike Glennon type. And that, that's my take for right now. Yeah, that's one take to definitely have. I mean, I wrote about this at Big Blue View, how Marcus Mariota should definitely be a target, but – I preface it by saying it's very unrealistic because where are you getting this money? The money here just doesn't grow on trees. And yes, you can move money around and kind of get creative, but don't you want to do that to probably improve your offensive line? There's there's a lot that kind of goes into this because there could be an argument, Dan, that, hey, look, if you lose Daniel Jones, your season's over anyways because you have so much money allocated in so many different positions and you still need to allocate it to very important positions like the offensive line. So like Mike Lennon, he's a, he's a professional quarterback but he's not a quarterback that can go out there and, and put the team on his back. But those guys aren't out there backing teams up because as you said several times on this podcast, Dan, well, there's only a certain amount of players who can play quarterback to a level of which we all are impressed. And Mike Lennon is not that. And most starting quarterbacks or backup quarterbacks aren't like that. And a lot of starting quarterbacks aren't like that either. So these guys aren't just out there waiting to be snagged up because if they were, they would be starting in the NFL. But I'm not so sure that's true, in my mind at least. I think you just have to be aggressive with it because, in my mind, at least from what I'm seeing, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm seeing, at least today, Mike Lennon was worse than what the Giants had, uh, what the Giants were trotting out there last season with Colt McCoy when Daniel Jones got hurt. But what Colt McCoy was putting out there wasn't really acceptable either. And I'm not asking for someone to put the team on their back. I'm not asking for that at all. I'm asking for someone to give them a chance. And I just can't look, sit here and say it was that hard to get Gardner Minshew. It took a sixth-round pick. That's nothing. And Marcus Mariota, yeah. I think he signed for like $1 million. Tyrod no, Taylor, can Marcus, had, Mariota, like, Marcus Mariota signed a pretty big deal. I think he was the highest paid backup at the time. And then he took and a pay cut to, this offseason to stay with them. And now his base salary, I believe, is in the low millions. I believe so as well. But when he first signed, it was a pretty high contract for the time. As for Gardner Minshew, of course, but that's a one-off thing. There's not a lot of backup quarterbacks who are just kind of sitting around waiting to get plucked off their teams because Trevor Lawrence was drafted first overall by then. And in terms of Mike Lennon, I would agree, man. Like he's he's not a backup quarterback that I want. <laughs> of course not. But he's still not the biggest problem here. To me, it's still that offense. He's not. Line. It's not that he's the biggest problem. It's just that it's the most. This is just my opinion, by the way. I'm not disagreeing with you. Oh, I'm no, just saying. I, I, yeah. In my mind, and this is kind of goes back to the whole quarterback thing, which I'll touch on in a second, just to kind of give a better, I guess, scope of why my argument is why, why I have this belief and why I have this take. In my mind, it's by far and away the most important position. It makes all of the difference almost. I don't really believe as much in the you got to you got to have all the other things in place. I think it's get the quarterback without the quarterback. You have no shot, really. And so with a guy like Glennon out there. They can't have a shot to win these games. Like if, if Daniel Jones is done for the year, I saw it today. I didn't see as much the first week because he had an okay game until he started getting pressured by Miami. But I saw it today. The Giants aren't winning another game this season in my mind with Lennon. I don't think Daniel Jones is playing great football towards the end of his run from week five on, basically. But he was <laughs> today was such an obvious example. And even last week, you know, after the hit or supposed hit or whatever happened to Glennon. There's such a difference, right? Like you, you have a chance to win football games with Daniel Jones. You have no chance in my mind to win games the way Glennon was playing today. His ball placement is awful a lot of the time. It's he has he makes careless mistakes. He always puts the ball in harm's way. He has no pot, no mobility whatsoever. He's not he's one of the worst 
backups in the NFL, to be completely honest. And that's why he's been bounced around by plenty of teams. I don't know how he found a little bit of success last year with the Jags. I think he won a game or two somehow with them. But, I mean, I don't see it here with the Giants. And I'm at the point where I believe that this is such an important position that you need to try to upgrade it from a talent standpoint, just like we talk about with the line, man, how we always want competition. We always want talent on the line. It's that's the second most important position for a position group, whatever you want to call it. The second most important facet of building a football team, the align, but quarterbacks one for me, and it should be, it's the one, one of everything. And I know you're not going to find some kind of Aaron Rodgers, right? Who's going to be yeah. the difference maker type as a backup, but you need to have somebody who can come in when Daniel Jones is hurt and can win you game, not win you games on his own. Sorry. Can be part of a winning game. Like, you know, like, <laughs> Especially, or, you know, you have somebody who it's, it's just tough for me to, to, to look at this team and say, this is what they're doing at quarterback. They're going in with Daniel Jones and Mike Glenn, and they're expecting to win a lot of games because it's a quarterback driven league. I a hundred percent agree, man. I, but I also think this is a tough spot for any backup quarterback to travel across the country to play a team like the chargers that are just objectively just significantly better than the New York Giants. But I understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. I guess my, I don't even have an issue with what you're saying. I actually agree with you, but I just don't know how the Giants are going to do it either. Unless they invest a draft pick into the quarterback position. And that's how you can possibly do that. It doesn't have to be a first round pick. It could be a later round pick, somebody that they like, maybe from a smaller school or something like that. Or they could trade a late round pick for someone like a Gardner Minshew. But I don't, think there's a lot of opportunity for that to happen. I'm trying to think of like uh, backup quarterbacks around the league who have been usurped by uh, rookies that are, that are solid, like, like a Mike white from the New York jets or something like that. Yeah. I don't even like Mike white. I mean, Gardner Minshew at least has a track record of, he had a really yeah. good rookie season. Like his 2019, you look at the numbers, they're, they're really good. I don't really know why there wasn't much interest in him. I think the team sleep, I think teams are asleep at the wheel at the backup quarterback position. I think it's not just the Giants. A lot of teams just don't really care and don't put a lot of resources into their QB too. For a lot of the reasons that you've brought up and some, you know, are makes, they may all make logical sense, right? Like I've always been on the camp of like, you're right. Why if the see if Jones is done, what do we care? There's no ceiling with this team. Why would we want to use valuable cap space and valuable resources that could be used to improve positions that, you know, they need. But at the same time, you look at a season like this, man, and you just you just see them losing like not even competitive. I agree. It would have been tough for Gardner Minshew to come in here and win this game for the Giants. But I can damn assure you they would have had a better chance to win this game. They wouldn't have been completely blown out and utterly embarrassed on that, uh, you know, on television like they were in this game. 30 to seven in the second half. I know they put on some garbage TDs that meant nothing, but the game was over by that point. I just feel like maybe that it, I'm looking at it from a low ceiling standpoint. So it's something I got to think about more. But I'm just at the point, man, watching this today where I'm just done with the lack of investment at quarterback. I'm done with the you can't bring in talent because it scares the quarterback that you drafted. No, no, no. Bring in talent. Competition should bring out the best in your in your high draft pick. It shouldn't make it worse. And if you have to bench him because you think the backup's going to play better, then you bench him because you think the backup's going to play. And, the back, and if the backup plays better, you made the right call because you've got to get the best you can get out of the position. It can't just be scholarships and you know, not and then not investing and then having guys like Glennon that, you know, they, they literally opted for Glennon over McCoy because McCoy costs more and his agent wanted more and got more from Arizona. I mean, that's where they were at with QB two this offseason. I'm just I think this game for me, just that was my key takeaway. I watched the game because they're unwatchable with Glennon. They're an unwatchable football team. I'm just not so sure they'd be that way with a Mariota or Minshew type. Yeah, I don't know if they would be. I mean, I still think, and I know you would agree, at least I believe you would agree, that the root issue of all of this is just the offensive line. I, I think if – I don't think this team, even with Mike Glennon, would, would, even with a competent offensive line, would be anything that we would want to write home about because Mike Glennon is definitely a replacement-level backup quarterback, meaning that you know the Giants need to replace him next season. But at the same time, man, you watch these games, dude, and it didn't even seem like in this specific game – that the Giants offensive line was, you know, allowing all this pressure and the Giants offensive line was, was uh, struggling to move bodies off the line of scrimmage. But man, you just watch this offensive line in general, man. We saw Matt Parrott out there and I get excited. I'm like, yo, 74 is out there. Nate Soldier's not out there. All right, that word. What happens the first play? He gets beat. It's just like, oh my gosh, man. Like, well, what is up with this, man? These young players can't play either, dude. I, I just, um, I'm looking at next season, right? Because this season is just, you know, disgusting. I'm trying to convince myself of ways the Giants can rebuild this offensive line right. to make 
Giants a competitive team next year without investing both of those first round picks in the line. I think one has to be invested in there, but there is a part of me that hopes or, or like, I don't even know if hopes is the right word, but like wants the giants to land a dynamic defensive player as well, specifically at the edge, just because I think Thibodeau and Hutchinson are absolute studs, but I don't even know if the giants or the bears are going to be bad enough to land them. I don't know, man. There's just like so many things going into my mind. And then we don't even, that's not even like considering this 37 to 21, just absolute beat down, but look at Micah Parsons, man. Look what he's doing right now for the Dallas Cowboys. It, it, it's kind of frustrating to, to see such a, a difference maker on the defensive side of the football kind of come to fruition. And the Giants ended up passing on him. And I like Kadarius Tony. Don't get me wrong, but the guy's not on the field right now. And, you know, he's still, what, the third receiver on this team. If Sterling Shepard isn't here, I would say probably second, definitely now, because Darius, like going into the season, I meant, uh, Darius Slayton has just, um, you know, horrific after another three target game with zero catches and two drops. But I mean, I, 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 I remain high on Kadarius Tony. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know, man, I, I look at this, this draft, there seems to be a lot of good defensive talent and I haven't done my deep dive yet, but I would like some of them to dawn blue eventually. I just don't know exactly if that's going to happen. We'll get into some draft stuff. Cause there's some stuff I want to talk to you about with that. And you know, there is a case for both sides of the quarterback thing, because like you said, What's the ceiling of like signing a Gardner or Mariota? Unless you feel like with Gardner, for example, like he's young enough that he could maybe be your starter. Because otherwise, you're really not looking for a ceiling there. And then maybe the better option would be to just use a mid-round pick on a quarterback. But I don't know, man. I just, I just can't, I just can't stand Glennon as a QB two. I just, especially with the injury-prone QB one that Jones planned to be. But I want to touch on some of the things you brought up. The first thing I want to touch on there um, is the chance for the Giants to get one of those players, Aiden Hutchinson, okay, on Thibodeau. Thibodeau, I think it's unlikely at this point, and let me tell you why. Me and my brother kind of broke it down today as we were toiling away. I watched with my brother and my family this Giants game, and, and I'll be honest with you. I had to break out a computer and stream the game on the Fios app in from the third quarter on because my my brother and my dad and my mom, had both they'd all had enough, and rightfully so. They wanted to watch Red Zone, rightfully so. Actually, they wanted to turn to the Bucks bills because it was getting good then uh and that game was also televised rightfully so no one besides me and you nick and the people who cover this team <laughs> or the people who are diehards and somehow found a way to enjoy that second half should have should, you know should be should be you should feel guilty i should say for turning that game off but as we look through tankathon as we look through the draft it's going to be highly unlikely for the giants or the bears to get inside that top four already even just by getting to four wins it's going to be highly unlikely. And that's assuming the Giants will lose out, which is, in my mind, unlikely if Jones returns, but actually somewhat pretty likely to me if it's going to be Glennon or Fromm, because these guys are just, just it's just un, it's just unwatchable offense with these two. Um, but even at four losses, is going to be tough because the Texans, the Jets, uh, the Lions, and who's that, and the Jaguars, while they play each other once, like there's a Jaguars-Texans coming up, that really only gets them to three wins. And the Jets are our best bet right now. We need the Jets to win again. They have one of those two teams, Jaguars-Texans, and then there's like one more somewhat winnable game, I think, against the Dolphins. So the Jets are basically the best bet for the Giants to get inside that top four. But likely they're looking at five as their ceiling with either pick, Bears or Giants pick. And I just find it hard to believe that those two edge rushers are going to make it out of the top four. It just seems so unlikely. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same exact way. I mean, there's still so many things that have to happen, you know, the combine, the senior bowl, all of those games. So there, there's still a lot to kind of dive into. I, I don't know if that's going to affect the top five, but there sh could be other players that end up rising that kind of catch our eye and we'll dive into. And we'll be going over that extensively come, you know, January, February, March. So please tune in to hear. But as for uh, the season right now, man, just bleak, dismal, throw whatever adjective that is just pressing towards it because, you know, you turn on this game, dude, and well, the Giants drove down the football field. And you want to know something? Grandpa Rudolph, bro, it is holiday season, Dan. <laughs> and Kyle Rudolph had a 60-yard catch. You want to know what's most depressing about that? What's that? This was the longest reception of the season for any new york giant oh that's so yeah. painful because in the saints game john ross Such i think had a 52 yarder and then saquon barkley had a 54 yarder i want to say rudolph's 60 yarder which he didn't even score 
was the longest. Now, who would have, if you would have told us that at the beginning of the season, I would love to know the odds on that. Yeah, that would be funny, but it's just, it's sad the Giants can't generate any kind of big passing plays. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I want to also touch on something you mentioned with Parsons, Nick, because obviously right now, anyone with two two eyes can see that Parsons is not only the best rookie defender, he's he's the best defensive player in football right now. He's the most impactful defensive player in football. Week after week, he makes game-changing plays, just like he did this week for the Dallas Cowboys. He's the defensive player of the year. And obviously, Rashawn Slater, we all saw that full and well. <laughs> Bowling playing great in the run game and he's great in the pass game. So he's in a lot of people's minds. I mean, Mina Kimes made the case that he should be in the offensive rookie of the year running. I, I don't think he would win that right now over somebody like Mac Jones, I guess, but I would say he's, he would be my number two or number three behind Jamar chase at the, at the very latest. Um, and so my, why I'm bringing this up, Nick, it's just so giants. Isn't it just so damn giants that the one time, they follow the they they have a great process, right? The process is great. You trade down, you trade with the team that's desperate to move up for quarterback, Justin Fields. You nail this thing, man. You trade back, you get an extra pick. This pick is probably going to be in the top eight, depending on what happens with the Bears the rest of the way. And they have some somewhat winnable games. Let's say it drops to 10 at worst. It's such a good process. You get 20 and and maybe eight or 10 or five, even at best, from the Bears. Uh, and a and a fourth round pick. And yet somehow it's so typical of the Giants to, to have a great process and the result, well, it may not be great, unfortunately. Kadarius Tony's been injured his whole Florida career, injured his whole first season. A skill player doesn't make that as much of an impact as an edge guy or as a left tackle like Rashawn Slater. Like if the Giants don't land a blue chip player at a key impact position with the Bears pick, it may end up somehow being a bad result despite following such a good process by trading back. Because you know what? At 11, you're not generally going to land players like Mika Parsons or Rashawn Slater. But somehow, some way, this was the draft where sitting at 11 were two 
basically all pros. Like Mika Parsons, all pro, probably defensive player of the year. Rashawn Slater on that all pro track. And it's just crazy to me, like how how much bad luck this. I don't know if you even want to call it bad luck because I don't I don't know what to call it. But at this point, man, it's just crazy. They follow the right process, and and now somehow they're chasing. Like this result, they're going to be chasing the whole time. They need to hit. Either Tony has to get healthy and stay healthy and and complete the flashes he's shown and evolve into an unbelievable receiver. And even then, it's still a skill player. And we all know how far skill players can take you versus what a left tackle and an edge can do for you. Um, or they have to hit on this Bears pick. And it's crazy that they're chasing to me. It's just it's just wild, man. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And Mika Zibanejad, also great ranger, by the way. <laughs> but um, Micah Parsons, my man. But I think it like might it? be Mika. It, are we going to do the Devonta Devonta? I don't know. I think I'm actually definitely wrong, and it's Micah, but I, oh, yeah, I prefer to call him Mika. <laughs> yeah, that's why uh, we got to bring up the great uh, New York Ranger. But you're not wrong, man. The process, and again, dude, I'll stand by that. You, you you have to go with the process, and I'm not disagreeing with the process, but you are spot on with what you're saying, dude. This could be a situation where the process just doesn't yield what it could have been if Micah Parsons continues to develop and Kadarius Tony doesn't kind of reach his potential. Now, I'm hoping if and I, and I do believe this, man, if he stays healthy, I think his potential is so high and just so astronomical that that pick could be worth it. And then then it's just, you know, extra cake, whatever happens with this second pick in the first round, the Chicago Bears 2022 first round pick. I'm hoping that that does end up happening. But in terms of year one, it's just been ugly because it's one injury after another. And then it's like, oh, well, he's going to come back. Oh, he practiced in limit. Uh, you know what? He's inactive. And it's just one of those things where it's just kind of a tease at this point. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this as far as the trade goes. I stand by it and I'm for it. And if I'm not, then I'm breaking my own rule because you have to, you know, you have to live by what you preach. And I preach the process that trading back there was the right move. They got so much value from that trade, man. Like, especially with how it playing out, how we expected the bears to be one of the worst NFL teams, the values there, but it's just so unlikely that at pick 11, after 10 players already came off the board, there's literally sitting there a potential defensive player of the year in week one in, in year one in Micah Parsons, like the most at the most impactful position, and a potential like locked in left tackle for decade. Like Rashawn Slater's probably there for a decade plus there in LA. And he's freaking awesome. What rookie comes in and plays as well as he has at the left tackle position. I can't think of, I can't remember the last left tackle. Like obviously it happened last year with Worfs as a right tackle. And obviously for year two for Thomas, but I'm talking about year one, you come in right away and play as well as, as Rashawn has played at left tackle. Who's the last one you can remember who's done that? At left tackle, I mean, I'm sure there have been a few, but none, none are just kind of jumping out to me at the moment. Yeah, there's definitely been a few, but none jump out. And it's just crazy that at 11, they had the chance at both. They were literally both of our number one and two players on the big board. Look at all of our contact from February through April. And we were, I'm not trying to like, you know, toot our own horn here, but just it goes to show like these were locked in guys at key positions of need. It wasn't that hard, um, but Stand by the process, and it's just interesting because you brought up Micah Parsons. I just want to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I just hate watching him every it damn sucks. Sunday. He's absolutely dominating and then, like, shooting into the A-gap, winning around. the. He's just he's winning in so many different ways, bro. And that's just as a, ru- a pass rusher, man. He's also just right. dominating against the run. How many times do you see him coming from, like, the far hash, use his range, cut the angle off, and stop something? Yep a third down and then he also has just unique coverage ability because he's such a unique athlete. I was going to say the dude literally dropped in coverage one play and nearly made an interception that's how good he is on a Taylor Iden can throw like it's incredible and kudos by the way from that standpoint to Dan Quinn and that coaching staff because we always said when we were evaluating Parsons like we love this kid but we don't we don't know exactly where he's going to play or what how the best way you know just get him on the team and then the coaches will hopefully find a way to maximize him we know firsthand being giants fi- followers and fans and analysts that that's not always the case right like that's clearly not always the case the coaching staff doesn't always maximize the talent that's been the case unfortunately for the giants for for a while now so kudos to them for that obviously part of why parsons has been so dominant in my mind at least is how the cowboys have utilized him and deployed him on the defensive side of the ball So props there, but this is not a Cowboys podcast. Let's talk a little bit about this game. Let's talk a little bit about some more questions regarding this team. I want to talk to you a little bit about about Joe Judge here because um, obviously the team was unprepared for this game. You can throw out the arguments about the team, you know, playing hard for Judge because this was not a, a good example of a play hard game for Judge, clearly. I mean, it was 30 to 7 at one point. Obviously, there's a talent, you know, 
a little bit the, the Chargers have obviously more talent, but the Chargers haven't been blowing out teams really at all this season. They've been playing down to their opponents for for a large for, for a lot of the games. Um, so some some moments with Judge. So this week, Judge came out and said, "I believe I'm aggressive." Uh, he just re, he has a different definition of aggressive, right, Nick? So he talked about how every week he has a punt, a fake punt in his arsenal. He just hasn't decided to use it, but he's not afraid to use it, right? So he comes out in this game. It's 0-0. The Giants get the ball for, first. They go third and two at the 50-yard line. As usual, and this seems to be the case on most of their fourth down calls that they've punted on, they miss this third and two. So somehow a third and two turns into a Riley Dixon punt that gets touched back, and it's a 30-yard difference in field position. on fourth and, At fourth and two on the 50, of course, he doesn't even consider going for it. Doesn't want to set because remember, Nick, it's zero zero at this point, right? He's still in the game in his mind. Obviously, he's still in the game. And when the Giants are in the game or they have a lead, it's almost always the punt. It's almost always the non-aggressive move, which in his mind, again, is not considered lack of aggression. He believes it's the opposite. He puts his defense on the field. That's the aggressive putting your defense on the field. Sure, Judge, because we all know that the defense scores points in the NFL. The Giants have one touchdown this year from the defensive side of the ball. Um, so Anyway, later in the game, and you mentioned this earlier, Nick, the Giants are out of it. It's over. They're down by 20. The game's freaking over. All right. They haven't shown a single lick of being able to stop the Chargers. It's the third quarter. This game's freaking over. What does he do? He decides to run the fake punt. And as you said so perfectly and elegantly earlier to open this podcast, Nick, it's poorly executed. To, it's so poorly executed and so lackadaisical and just looks so like meh out there, right? But he only starts to try. He only decides to try this when the game's completely out of hand and it's already over. And so it just shows to me another sign of this guy just simply not getting it, not adjusting, not making correct decisions to change his ways. Because again, he could have went for that fourth and two on the 50 to start the game and to set the tone and to build momentum, try to score points early in the game. But they weren't losing at that point. They weren't down by 20. He didn't have to put the panic mode on and try the fake punt like he did later in the game when it was pointless. And so, man, I just felt like, again, he showed signs of cowardly coaching in this game. I'm not going to really grill him too hard for punting uh, at the 50-yard line, fourth and two. You know, I like a more aggressive style, but at the same time, you're on the road. I, I can understand that with Mike Lennon as your quarterback. But overall, man, Joe Judge, he's going to be who he is, dude. He's going to play this contextually with a huge conservative lean. And that's who he has been his entire time with the Giants. It doesn't mean he's not going to go for it, as he said, but it, like you said, it's more than likely going to come when he's down by a little bit. And sometimes you kind of need to keep the opposing team on their toes a bit. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it, for me, it's not just something about that. It's just about like, you have, it's, I just can't subscribe to a style of coaching that you're only aggressive and only trying to maximize your points when you're losing by a lot. You have to be looking to maximize your points at all times. That's the name of the game. And I just don't think he gets that. I don't think he, I don't think I haven't seen enough signs that that's going to change in my mind. And that just goes on top of all the other stuff, the lack of preparation, you know, at this point we're whittling down the reasons that he, the reasons the things that he supposedly does well, which is the team hasn't quit on him. The locker hasn't quit on him. They're still fighting for him. It did. Did it look like that today to you? And I'm not saying they quit in this game, but did it look like there was a ton of fight on the field? I don't think they quit or anything. I just think they suck, dude. Yeah, no, I mean, they do suck, but it's partially, it didn't really feel like there was a lot of fight. Somebody posted a picture. I saw, I think I saw it on big blue interactive of the sideline on a, a, a wide angle shot from the sideline. And everyone's just sitting on the bench, you know, it's, it's kind of par for the course for the giants. They lose almost every week. They have four wins this year. They didn't have many last year. They never compete against these actual good teams like the chargers who are eight and five. It just felt par for the course. It's not, there's no rallying to try. It, it's, it's, it doesn't look to me like this team has, oh my God, there's, there's so much fight. They love playing for Joe Judge, right? They love playing for this guy. He loved the locker room, loves him. I don't get that feel. I know we hear that, but I haven't seen enough evidence of that. And that's basically the last, the last straw for what is he supposedly doing well right now? Like, what is this guy doing well for the Giants that leads us to believe he should return as head coach is where we're at. Well, I mean, they suck. So it, it's hard to really make that 
firm case. I mean, there have been bad football teams like the 49ers in the past where it's like, yeah, of course, Kyle Shanahan is going to come back. They just suffered some injuries and they're having a down year, but he's going to come back. Joe Judge doesn't have that going for him right now. And I'm not necessarily insinuating that the team quit on him, but I think they feel helpless and hopeless because the team is so bad and they can't overcome the the injuries that they've suffered and just the fact that their personnel is not as good as their opponents. And when you feel helpless and hopeless, there's really only one person to blame, and that's the head football coach, Joe Judge. That's kind of where I'm at with it. And I think anything's on the table at this point. I wouldn't be shocked if Joe Judge is fired at the end of the year. I, I don't think it's going to happen at the end of the day, which is may set up this weird like I've said in the past, John Idzig, Rex Ryan type of situation. But I guess we're going to have to see what exactly happens here. And who do the Giants have left on their schedule? They still have to play the Eagles. They still have to play the Washington football team. They still have to play the the Chicago Bears. They got to play Dallas again. So you, you have some divisional games. And if you come out and win some of those divisional games, maybe, maybe that's a good thing as Dan loves, you know, carrying into next season, the those good positive wins for the locker room. I would love to talk to Dan about that. That'd be funny. But as of right now, after week 14, I mean, come on, dude, this was terrible. And you're right. Two garbage time touchdowns that mean absolutely nothing, dude. The final, like, dude, I believe the Giants had the football for almost seven minutes uh, in the final uh, like nine minutes of the game or right. something like that. But other than that, dude, they got trounced in time of possession. You know, they got trounced in yardage because it just had a bunch of garbage yardage points. Even at the end of the game with those seven minutes, I think the Giants almost got out possessed by 10 minutes in this football game when your offense can't do anything. And then when your offense does have the ball, you literally like knock off 25 seconds of clock because you can't do crap. It's a, uh, it's unfortunate, man. It, it's, it's dismal. It's partly Mike Glennon It's partly coaching. It's partly uh, play calling. It's partly offensive line. It's collectively gross. Yeah. I think right now the best argument for bringing Joe judge back was that one, uh, it was the injuries, basically. That's it. That's the, essentially the only argument I can see for bringing him back. Let's give him a chance to coach a healthy football team. But it's the NFL. When are you ever going to be a healthy team? The Ravens have an insane amount of injuries right now. They have eight wins. Like plenty of teams around the NFL, if you look at the actual injury reports and you look at their rosters before the year and their rosters now, have dealt with equal injuries to the Giants. We are not the only injured team. I know some fans seem to think this for whatever reason, but it's just simply not true, not the case, and never has been the case. And some teams are able to win games regardless of the injuries. So, but I do feel like the only real reason to bring Judge back is because he deserves a fair shot with that with a more healthy team. I guess it is is the best way to describe it. Um, but I I'll tell you this: if the Giants get embarrassed in those division games like they were today against the Chargers, like they were against the Rams, and to some extent like they were against the Broncos in Week One, because that was another game where by the fourth quarter the game was over. Um, and if that happens in these divisional games. I think there's a chance he could go, Judge, because those are the ones that really stand out, I think, to Mara. And those, and again, if they get blown out against teams like the Washington football team, right, and the Philadelphia Eagles teams, we've seen the Giants compete toe-to-toe with this year. Uh, you know, one game, the Washington game, they should have won. And the Eagles game, they actually did one. If they, le- they actually did win, I should say. If they do get blown out of both those games like this one, then in, in a good case can be made that the final thing that Joe Judge is supposedly doing great, you know, the locker room quote unquote loves him, which I, again, find extremely hard to believe that the locker room loves a coach who doesn't win games and makes you run laps. Like, it just it just doesn't seem true. I know the propaganda machine has pushed it on us. It doesn't seem true. But again, if they get blown out by those divisional teams that aren't good teams, the Redskins are not the Washington football team is not good. The Eagles are not good. That's kind of the moment where maybe the locker room did quit on him, right? Maybe the team did quit on him. And that's what Mara has said all along. Like, I believe in Judge. And Mara loves Judge. I mean, it seems pretty clear. But I believe in Judge because the team hasn't quit on him, right? The locker room still is playing for him. And that that might be the that might be the difference maker, I think, on Judge's tenure and future with the Giants. Did you listen to – if you listen to his, his post-game press conference, he, he always talks about – progress that they're making in practice but it's not translating whatsoever to the football field but it seemed like i think somebody on the beat i don't uh know exactly who it was so i apologize mentioned how does ownership know how much progress 
is going on in the building because it's not translating to what's going on on Sunday. And he insinuated that, yeah, they're they're at practice, they're aware, but you know, we're not winning games. And it almost seems like part of me thinks that like he's he's saying these things and he's presenting it this way to protect himself to not get fired by the end of the year, to give himself another year, basically. And not like saying, oh, well, we have a lot of he's not making any excuses or anything like that. But he's basically saying, yeah, we are, you know, developing. We have young players who are or executing well in practice and kind of learning right now but they're not ready yet but you know they'll get there eventually and you know i I saw this in new england and you know it's going to happen here and it seems like it's you know a lot of fluff right now because we're not seeing any results on the football field yeah i mean it's hard to argue with that nick i want to get into one more thing uh but i want to leave the floor open to you now first because we haven't really touched too much on the game or you know anything else that that's boggling your mind i had a lot of shit i had sorry stuff i had to get off my chest and so i did how about you do you want to touch on anything before uh anything else right now i guess with the giants or with this game with this game i mean the game was disgusting we're going to watch the all 22 and we're going to begrudgingly provide podcasts <laughs> on that with with other aspects probably as well to to make it not stink so bad we'll have to get creative. <laughs> but uh yeah so no nothing other than that i okay. mean it, it's hard to even like pinpoint somebody who necessarily played like well in this game i mean i think there were defensive players that did i think dexter lawrence had a solid game from what i saw as these are had a couple nice plays yeah. but mckinney was somebody that that flashed uh, here and there a little bit uh, julian love made a couple nice plays but like other than that like it was just a really, really poor effort overall and just a, a poor showing. I mean, when you allow a team to score 37 points on you, it's it's going to be gross. Yeah, for sure. I think um, Aziz actually had a couple really nice reps against Slater, which is a really yeah. good sign. We yeah. like Aziz. We think there's some definitely some good stuff uh, there moving forward. I want to bring up something else with you. Have a little fun. We'll wrap it up here. Did you get a chance to uh, take a listen to our friend of the show, you know, uh, <laughs> all-time award-winning listener, uh, hopefully future guest, really one of the most brilliant analysts in the world, I would say, for anything, let alone football. And that's Paul Dottino. Do you get a chance to hear his uh, his radio spot on WFAN from this past weekend? So I saw it on Twitter and I didn't click on it. And I think I saw maybe you quote tweeted it or, or something like that. And then I read the quote tweet and I giggled to myself. And then I put my phone away and decided to not listen to it. You should take your time to listen to it. It's it's a combination of a lot of things. Comedy, satire, I think, or I don't know, satire is probably not the right word. It's dark comedy. It's definitely a dark realization when you just hear the delusion, delusion for sure, delusions of grandeur. So our boy Paul, Paulie Dots, the same man who, after I really innocently, you know, responded, replied to a tweet where he was like, AJ Epinesa is still on the board. The Giants are definitely going to draft him at 36 overall. This is a perfect spot for him. And I was just like, uh, Paul, I don't think so. AJ Epinesa doesn't at all fit Patrick Graham's system. Not really exactly sure where he would line up. And he doesn't really fit the Giants roster building strategy of building back to front through the secondary. And he went off. He said, you know, you don't know anything. I would send you some game film about AJ, but you probably wouldn't know what you're looking at. You should cover hockey. So, Paul, you started something, buddy. You started a war. And I don't end war. I don't even think I'm just going to sit here and take that. Of course, Nick, no, you know me better than that. You know, I don't just take slights like that and let them just completely go unnoticed. And so, Paul, I will call you out for you just delusional and really it's really disingenuous is how i would describe it the spot he had he he basically said uh played played the blame game for dave gettleman and said he's really disgusted with how the fans have the fans in the media have vilified gettleman that's his words vilified Gettleman. so being objectively objective analysis about someone who's quite obviously done a horrific job managing this team into the ground is now villain villain you're you're you're, you're villain you're villainizing him that's according to paul uh, you're taking he's taking a shot at the fans there which is crazy to me like the fans are not allowed to be uh disappointed and are not allowed to criticize a gm who's been her horrible why why paul why is that the case he then brought in the fact that dave gettleman is a cancer survivor i guess to kind of show like how unfair the fans are being as someone who by the way and some of you know this who have followed me on twitter but 
I've obviously been open about this in the past on Twitter. And for those who don't know, I am a cancer survivor myself. That's not cool to bring that in. That has nothing to do with fi- why fans are disappointed in Dave Gettleman. That has nothing to do with the criticism of Dave Gettleman. It has literally everything to do with his management of this roster. So then he brings that in, and then he goes on some rambling, incoherent mess that he starts to talk of n- name-dropping Giants defensive players. Like He's like, oh, Leonard Williams, Blake Martinez. Like, First of all, <laughs> don't, we don't even need to get into the capital that the Giants have invested to bring these some of these players onto the team and the free agent spending, uh, most of whom weren't draft fines. But just just starts naming defensive players, Nick. And then this is my summary of it to you, by the way. You no longer have to listen to it. His final thing was Giants better be careful because the Jets once tried to fire a GM, uh, but but bring in a new head coach. And it was it was really bad. Like, be careful. <laughs> it was bad. What do you call this, Paul? Like, can he, what, what is he? It was the most ridiculous thing. Like, be careful. Things can go bad. What do we call what we're looking at right now? If this isn't bad, then what is bad? And that's where I'll end this rant, Nick. I'm glad you got that off your chest, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. And just in case you do stumble upon this, Paul, we are doing this mostly in jest. Obviously, I are. don't like how you came at me, and we're, we're probably never going to have you on the show. But at the same time, you cover the team to whatever extent you do. But I, I didn't like – I'll say this, Nick. I just don't like when you come at the fans and the media – for having, a, you know, for criticizing a general manager, like, like making him, like he's like he playing the blame game, right? Like he's the victim here, right? Like Dave Gettleman is not the victim here. Dave Gettleman's been incredibly pompous about his entire uh, roster building process. Like it's not like he's done this thing quietly, right? Like he hasn't gone about his business quiet in any possible way. And so you just can't turn this guy into the victim. And that, that's kind of where, where, where I'll leave it, Nick. We don't want to, we don't have to go too hard in on Paulie there, but obviously it was just incredible to see somebody I think shout out to I think Dan put that on my timeline. Dan Bricker put that on my timeline this AM and I just had to go off on it because it was just incredible listening to that soundbite, man. It, even the host of WFAN was like, wait a second. Are you mean to tell me that that uh, <laughs> like he was like, what are you talking? He almost was like, what are you talking about? That's pretty funny. Yeah, no, maybe I'll give it a listen, even though you gave me a pretty good synopsis right there. Yeah, for sure. But listen. All in good fun, just fun to jump back into that. But listen again, uh, for the Giants, this was a tough one. Me and Nick will definitely do. We'll definitely jump into the All Twenty Two, but it's going to be different. We're going to have to get creative with this, Nick. So get ready, and we'll, we want to get into a bot. Let's do a mailbag this week. It's been long overdue. We have a lot of questions there, um, and we'll, we'll send out another uh, another thing for more questions there. And Nick, anything else before we sign off? Nah, man, I'm looking forward to that mailbag, though. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I love the mailbags. It's actually some of my favorite shows, and I think it gives us a chance to touch on a lot of important topics. But other than that, everybody have a great rest of your week. We will talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.